Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. Today we begin a three-part series that um, we're calling Relentless Thieves. Relentless Thieves. Now, and how to beat them. How to beat them. Jesus said this in John the 10th chapter and uh, in the 10th verse. We're going to read this verse and then we'll pray. He said this. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. People are on the back foot right away if they don't realize there is a thief, that there is a devil, that there is an enemy. Jesus gave us um, the knowledge that there is a thief, and he doesn't come to play. He comes to do these three things, steal, kill, and destroy. Then he went on to say, My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. As we heard in the offering today, God wants to bless us. He wants us to have life. Jesus said this. And so we're going to look today, we're going to just start this, it's just a short series on relentless thieves because thieves can really take advantage of you if you don't know they're there. You don't recognize them. And so we're going to shine the light on it all today. Not all, but we're going to shine the light on one of the ways the devil robs from us. And before we do, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful, truly grateful for your presence that never leaves us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is with us and resides within us. He's our strengthener, he's our helper, and he's also our, our, our teacher. And so we look to him today that in these truths that we look at in the Word of God that he make it easy for us to understand. I ask you, Father, that as we look into your Word, that the entrance of your Word will give light, that there'll be an infusion of light And where there's been gray areas or shadowy areas in our life that have made a place for the enemy to steal or to kill or destroy, that these areas will be flooded with light. We'll know how to work together with you, work together with your word to bring your truth into reality in our life because we know that your truth and knowing it, acting in it, makes us free. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. Amen. All right. So this today we're calling, this particular relentless thief that we're looking at is called fear. And we're calling it today, when fear isn't fun. When fear isn't fun. Uh, Last Halloween... Uh, this last week was um, on Monday was Halloween, and um, whether you know or don't know kind of the history of it, it might just be something that kind of pops up in the end of, of October. But Halloween started, mm, they say, about a couple thousand years ago. Uh, it was a Celtic holiday that acknowledged the dead and that they would, around November the 1st, there would be dead that would come up again as ghosts. And um, there were different things that they would do. Uh, and, uh, but it was very, very ethereal, very, you know, uh, weird and supernatural. And all over through the years, uh, it's morphed a little bit. And, and when I was doing a, a bit of search on it, Google search on it, they said that they've made it very family-friendly now. And uh, I don't know how fr- family-friendly you find spiders and witches and goblins and skeletons and bats and whatever else. But anyway, you know, it's kind of just morphed down through the years. Um, but basically, uh, it, it's a f- family-friendly way to, um, to uh, yeah, just kind of get close to this thing that used to acknowledge the dead. 
and, um, and ghosts. And, uh, but we are not children of the darkness, nor are we children of the, uh, of the night. We are children of the light. The Bible calls us that. We are children of the resurrection. We, we don't celebrate death. We celebrate life. Can you say amen? And so, um, you know, last, last Sunday and Monday, our church took part in a, in a community event called Light of the World. And they, uh, it, it's a wonderful time, you know, for families to, to just celebrate together rides. And they had a lot of really fun things. But um, with costumes and really uplifting and good things. And there were about 10,000 people, say, they say, that walked through their gates. And we're really happy about that. Some good things happened, some healings. I saw some wonderful reports. And um, so, uh, light of the world, yeah, and we participate because of that reason. But today we're talking about fear. And, uh, and fear, how fear affects even the brain and your physical body. Um, that, that slide number five, threatening stimuli from nature and weather and animals, threatening people and circumstances causes an autonomic reaction and response in the brain that, is, that we refer to as fear. And so, if you're alive, if you're alive, you've experienced this. You don't mean for it to happen, but the, the term autonomic, it happens without you even realizing it. Different things that come through your eyes, your ears, your feelings. Um, any, any of your senses can cause these kind of things. I remember years and years ago when um, it was where my father first was pastoring in Colorado. I must have been maybe six or seven. The, the, the grade school during Halloween put on a, uh, you know, a little festival. And there was a little haunted section that you could go through, and it was all dark in there and all. And... Um, and I remember going in there, and you, you experienced different things with your senses. I remember uh, you were supposed to stick your hand in a bowl, and it, they were peeled grapes, and they said it was like eyeballs. I still remember that feeling. Yesterday, I was still remembering that. And there was another place you were to stick your hand in that bowl, and it was... Um, cold and wet uh, spaghetti, and that was supposed to be brains. You know how you remember those kind of things, and now here I am uh, some years later, <laughs> and uh, those kind of things kind of stick with you. They, fear affects the brains. Um, threatening stimulus through the senses automatically trigger hormones. In the end, 30, up to 30 hormones kick the body into overdrive. In heightened states of fear, your heart can actually pump five times as what the normal rate. All of this, all of these in slide six, all of these physical symptoms or responses are intended to help you survive a dangerous situation by preparing you to either run for your life or fight for your life. Thus the term fight or flight. Fear and the fight or the flight response in particular is an instinct that every human and animal possesses. And so that's the site that I was getting some of these, these um, interesting facts about. Now, let's look at, see, some of this flight and fight response in uh, this little guy. I don't know which one that is. Sometimes in between. <laughs> That's a flight. That's a flight. That's paralyzed. That's not, that little guy, bless him, look at his eyeballs. Oh, and now look at this guy. It's completely opposite. So a negative or, or 
a threatening stimulus to different people affect them in different ways. Some people run, and some people turn around and fight. Some people don't fight like that dog. They may not bite you with their teeth, but they've taken a chunk out of you with their words. Have you ever taken a chunk out of somebody with your words? You know it's possible to do. And so there is a, this fight or flight reaction that you don't even control. All right. Measured fear in controlled event, environments, though, we're going to look at this just in a bit, can, uh, can be actually fun, though. And uh, for some people, that is. Think about way back when there were ghost stories. You remember telling some, maybe you um, were at a camp or a sleepover or something where there were ghost stories. Anybody remember the kind of the weird thrill of a ghost story? I still remember, uh, give me my golden arm. <laughs> Was that one of the stories over here? I don't remember the rest of the story. I don't remember what it's attached to. The golden arm was attached to it all. I just remember, give me my golden arm. And I remember as a little girl being really afraid about that. I also remember uh, other stories of uh, at a sleepover, and there were older girls talking. They were talking about the scary things that had happened of violence. And I remember it really traumatizing me as a little girl. And it affected me, uh, you know, something I had to overcome later, <laughs> later on in life. But I remember at the time, it's exhilarating. The fear is a little bit exhilarating, and so kids do it. I saw this one cartoon. I, did, I couldn't find it, or I didn't find it. There was, uh, there was some little boys sitting around a, a campfire, and probably, you know, they were Cub Scouts or some kind, and they were telling ghost stories, and, and one was saying uh, what happens when, a, when guys get older and that hair grows out their ears, and these little boys had horror on their faces. Like, that's the worst thing in the world that could ever, couldn't imagine anything so horrible. Uh, but anyway, those kind of stories can be fun. 19, or 18, excuse me, 1650, the first roller coaster was, was made in Russia. And it was called the, the Russian Ice Mountains or something like that in 1650. And uh, in the 1800s, they, uh, they began to have what, we, what they called freak shows. And you could go and look at abnormality in people's bodies and, or in human bodies. And sometimes they constructed things. They would, they would attach different things together and make it look real just so that people on purpose could be freaked out. But what they started finding out back then is that people would actually pay to be freaked out. And so, uh, they would actually self-induce fear. They wouldn't just wait for life to do it. They would actually induce it themselves. And so began what is, is actually called a fear industry. There is actually a fear industry that if there aren't enough scary things happening in your life, just as it is, that you can... <laughs> You can create some fear in your life. Um, and so horror movies, horror movies. And so horror movies make huge, huge bucks. It doesn't take very much to make uh, in comparison of some of the other kinds and genres of movies, but they, but they gross a lot more. And... Um, and so, in the, in the autumn months, in, at least in the northern hemisphere, uh, as Halloween nears, and this is the season that we're, we've just come through, audiences become, and this is a quote, um, rabid for horrors and thrillers. 
They want them. They're looking for them. And actually, uh, a person can develop an appetite for more fear, an appetite to be afraid, and develop even a craving for it. The, the scary part of that is, is that there is, uh, there is a supply for a demand that can jump out of the industry that's in a controlled environment and into an uncontrolled environment, which is not so fun. Uh, let's look at this. Uh, uh, about $8.5 billion was plunged into um, Halloween last year. This is not just about Halloween. I'm talking about fear. And, and, and so huge amounts of money for this. Um, let's go back to roller coasters. Now, uh, I am, if you'll put up the first one, I am this person, you know, in the pink. I, I have fun on a roller coaster. They don't scare me. I mean, well, they do take your breath away, and you do hold on. It's like, ah! you know, you scream like crazy. But I'm, they, yeah, I, I have enjoyment. My husband just holds on. I, I watched him one time on a roller coaster, and he didn't seem to be, he was just like, like get this over. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that one. Let's look at the next one. Okay, that's a roller coaster, too. She doesn't appear to be having so much fun as go backwards, go backwards, as that. These guys are all having so much fun. This next one, go go forward again, is not so much. Now, if you would take, if you would find your little girl with that expression on her face in any other, in any other scenario, if you would see that expression on your little girl's face, you'd be thinking. I want to fix it. Something went right. This is bad. But somehow in a roller coaster, we pay. You give your little girl money to have that. It's crazy. Then let's look at the next one. And that one. Look at, she is in terror. She is not having a happy day. But look at the guy behind. So we can see that what thrills somebody, the line where fear is fun may not be the same line that you're comfortable with. I don't know, do we have any other one up there about, about roller coaster? Oh, bless her. She's not hollering. It's gone beyond hollering. So, I know, uh, Let's look at slide eight here. It says, even more exhilarating terror came when innovative crea creators decided to paint scary scenes on the walls. Uh, you know, of those, sometimes they would go through different tunnels and stuff that shocked and thrilled the riders as they passed by. These came to be known as dark rides. People were terrified, but they loved it. They loved it. They loved the terror. All right, so there is this fine line where if you cross it over, the fun is no more and it's gone too far. And it may not be fun for you what is fun for somebody else. I took my little brother, he's nine years younger than me, on a, on a roller coaster ride. I still remember it. And uh, oh my, he didn't want to go. I made him go. And he didn't want to go. And uh, he was just quiet on the ride because he was that far into Terra. He got off. Uh, when he got off, he just, he just walked he, to go find Mama. He did, it, the, whole, the whole amusement part was over. I had wrecked it for him. And he just cried. And I felt so bad because what was fun for me wasn't fun for him. It had crossed the line and I made him cross it. When it's somebody else's fear, when you're enjoying as far as movies are concerned, when it's somebody else's fear, they're in a horrible, you know, horror situation, uh, we'll, pay, we'll pay the whatever it costs to, 
to, to go to that, to that movie, buy popcorn, get a, get a Coke, and watch somebody absolutely be devastated, and it's recreation. However, when fear is not somebody else's, it's not so fun. I remember years, and probably you re would remember too, I didn't have time to go maybe through every, all of them or look for them, but there's been movies uh, that included uh, things that would happen in, for instance, New York City, where there was Godzilla and, or bombings or, you know, all kinds of different terrorist type of situation in, in New York City. And, and you don't think so much about it. It's a movie. It's going to be over in an hour and a half or sometime two hours. It's going to be over. And then you go home and then change life and da 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 it was different watching that in a movie, you know, where it's just a part of the movie than it was on 9-11. And we saw those twin towers actually come down. There was nothing fun about that, nothing funny, nothing, nothing entertaining about that. It was horrible. So there is a time and there is a place where, where fear <laughs> isn't fun. And mostly it is when fear has become your fear. It's not fun. Let's look at, uh, I want you to see these other pictures. These are common, just common. Fear is not something you grow out of. Maybe you, well, you know, you, you had it when you were a little boy. You had it when you were just little. You are afraid of the dark or afraid of something under the bed. It's not something that people grow out of. It's something that they live with. And as people grow, sometimes so does the monster. And is that the last one? And so it is irrespective of age. A baby can be afraid coming on up to an old... I've gone to nursing homes and find people in nursing homes that are afraid of fear. Jesus said this, or excuse me, John, the book of John, 1 John, the fourth chapter in the 18th verse says that fear has torment. Well, that's not what you sell. There's a fun element. But the fear we're talking about today is a fear that has torment. It's important that we spot the fear, that we identify it because, uh, as we've called, we're calling this um, relentless thieves. Thieves don't just come in and just rob you and take from you right in front of you. The, the essence or the, the thing of thievery is, is to do it without you knowing it's happening. And I thought about my brother and his wife and two children were in Rome with us when Tony and I used to live there. And, um, and they helped us there in our ministry. And one night, there were some, they were kind of gypsy. Um, they, they knew how to do things. They got in the house and they had some kind of a, a spray that, that um, makes you sleep deeper than you're sleeping. And when my brother and sister-in-law woke up, they found that many valuable things had been stolen. What, her wedding ring was on the nightstand right where they were sleeping, not even in the other room, right there. But it is while they were sleeping, they weren't aware that it was happening. So the point of what we're looking about today is through the light of the word. God wants us to wake up and be aware of things that could be setting us up to rob us because he doesn't want us to be robbed in life. All right. Um, and so it's important to spot fear. One of the, one of the, one of the indicators that you, a symptom of it, that you know it's there because it doesn't come in with a tag on it. It doesn't come with a sandwich sign. It doesn't come with a light on it that says, hey, uh, I am here. I am fear. I am robbing from you. It doesn't come in that way. It comes in sneaky-like. 
torment, according to 1 John, the, first, the fourth chapter, torment is a sign of fear. The Bible says fear has torment. So areas, you may not, you may not know why, why there's torment there. You don't know where it's come from. And sometimes you'll blame other people and strike out at other people and, and be like that dog with its teeth and strike out at situations. But, but it's, it's not other people necessarily all the time. It can be fear. If it has torment, it's a sign that fear's around. Then there are obvious fears, ones that are just normal, uh, that we are more aware of, doesn't make them easier. They're just more, more aware in society, like terror, terrorist attacks. Some people suffer with a fear of terrorist attacks. The, the, and I got this list off of, of the internet. Of, it was a poll and what people uh, said that they were afraid of and terrorist attacks. Probably more now than it used to be years ago. Terrorist attacks. Second on the list, which seems a completely different category, spiders. So we have, we have, uh, we have terror and then we have spiders and snakes. And, and, and we have war. We have heights. People are afraid of heights, of crime and violence. People are afraid of nuclear war and dentists. People are afraid of, of cancer. All kinds, a myriad of things, of pain. All kinds of, of things. I remember when, when we first moved here, I, I got to confront a couple fears straight away because I'd read about Australia, read up on it, and realized that there and some of them, you know, uh, the most deadly things in the world. And then there was Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> God bless the man, you know. And, and uh, so that's how I came. It was my introduction to Australia, really. The realities of Australia was Crocodile Dundee. I, and and uh, so when we, we moved, where we, the first place we lived here, um, there were a lot of cane toads. A lot of them. There was a... a a pond, a really nice, pretty pond, but it was like an incubator for those creatures. They were everywhere, and we had, we'd have uh, a lot of cane toads around. One, uh, my dog bit one, we had to deal, you know, with that, and call the vet and, and get a, a load of that. But then one day, I was sitting in my own living room, and the in the peace of my own living room, and I see a tiny little thing crawling on the floor. And I knew it was a spider, and it wasn't those monster things that could be on horror flicks, you know, the, the huntsmen. They come to Australia to get those things to put in their movies, I'm sure. <laughs> those things are amazing. They're so ugly. And then I heard they're so nice, you know, so we, we actually have a lot of them in our house. No, I'm kidding, we don't. We don't. <laughs> They're, but they're, they're, um, this wasn't one of those ugly, monstrous spiders. This was a teeny black one, and he was just going slow, going slow across. Um, and I walked over to him, and I looked at it real close, and there was a red, he had a red thing on his back. I thought, ah! But he held real still so I could kill him. <laughs> so... Um, so there's all kinds of, there's the obvious things, the things that everybody has. Then there's the things that just aren't so obvious that you have to, you have to uh, be able to find out what is, what is what I'm reacting to, what fear is provoking that. Here's one that isn't so obvious as the ones that we've said, and it, a heap of things come under this category, and it's in Proverbs, the 29th chapter, in verse 25, says, the fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man brings a snare. Well, that's not just fear. There is a fear of public speaking, but... Uh, I've never been afraid of, of that. I've never been afraid of public speaking, but I have dealt with fear of man. 
It's affected me in a, in a different way. And with men pleasing, I, I don't want people to not like me. I've had to overcome that. It's something that I hate because it makes you, uh, it makes you not be honest and forthright. It's based on not a love for people. I don't want to hurt anybody's feeling. Sometimes you don't want to hurt. It sounds really sweet. But sometimes underneath that really sweet, oh, I don't want to hurt anybody, is a thing is, I don't, I don't want anybody not to like me. Do you see the difference? There, it's a sneaky fear. And sneaky fear still sets you up to be robbed from. All right. Marketing. Marketing understands fear and harnesses it. They, they will absolutely convince you that if you do not have their brand of toothpaste, that all your friends will leave you. <laughs> and they'll leave you in a public place and there'll be shame. It'll be so shameful. It'll all, there's, if you don't use their deodorant, that you will never get married. <laughs> Horrible fear attached uh, t to whatever it is that they're trying to sell and make you feel like you just have to have it or else you just aren't going to make it in life. They'll do that with a new product. They'll do it with a new toy. They'll do it. They'll do it so that uh, little children, even though they're not on a, on a roller coaster ride or in a horrible situation, they'll cry like that girl on the roller coaster for a new toy. <gasps> She's just in terror that if you don't get her that toy, if you don't get that little boy that toy, that life as he knows it will be over. And, and, it, and, and in one way, it's not just put on. Somewhat, sometimes the, the bullying that they'll get at school if they don't have the right clothes or if they don't have the right shoes or if they don't have the right pencils or if they don't have the whatever, they, they'll suffer horrible rejection or bullying or being made fun of as a result of... So it just feeds it. Make sure we have everything we need to do to look nice, not because that's our preference, but because we want to please. Do you see? Compulsive behavior. Compulsive behavior of all different kinds. Not always is fear-based, but most of the time has some element of fear. Different kinds of, of compulsive behavior Overreacting in a situation is fear-based. Defensiveness. Anybody brings up an opposite point of view. Defensiveness. I'm never wrong. The fear of failure. The fear of being wrong. Again, 1 John 4 says, fear has torment. It's mean. It's not the same and experience the same for everybody. What's real for one person may not be real for somebody else, but it does not mean that that other person's fear is not real in the sense that it is, it is truly, truly tormenting. I read something that Mahatma Gandhi experienced in his fight against the caste system in India when he was... He identified this, that hate, he said, hate was not the problem. What it looked like, hate was the problem of one caste fighting another caste. Could be, in our day, riots of one, one ethnic group fighting another. He said this and identified it, in, and it's true. Hatred was not the problem. Fear is the problem. Fear of diversity, fear that somebody else isn't like you and you don't know what to do with it. And some people, some people just go back from it, but some people fight it. 
because it's not, not the same. Some people's values and, and what they believe, their belief system, if it's not the same. Some people just step back from it, but some people, it's that fright. They fight it. It can seem like you're just a person of conviction. Conviction is one thing. I tell you somebody who lived on this earth with conviction, and that was Jesus Christ, but you don't see him ever doing that. No. Why? Because he is love. God is love. And the Bible says perfect love does what? And wherever there's fear, it's very plain. Wherever there's fear, love has not been perfected. So, we can ask sometimes because there's, you think, well, is, what, what kind, is there an element of fear in my life that I haven't identified? Is, is, am I reacting? Am I, am I saying hurtful and, and responding in cold ways, maybe in flight ways, in relationships, or aggressive ways in relationships because of, of fear? And what's wonderful is God, God knows. You can ask him. I, I'm saying that not just because it sounds like a nice Christian thing to say. I found it to be the case in my life. I say, what is that? Why is it that I do that? If you're honest in your questions to the Lord, watch out. He'll be honest in his responses. But his responses, because they're from him and they're truth, never hurt you. They're truth and they make you free if you'll take them. All right. So today, there is fear is uh, in, in what we're looking at today is an enemy. It's an enemy. And um, Isaiah 54, verse 17 says, the weapon, no weapon, you, you guys say it with me, no weapon. So this is a common verse that we love. It's a wonderful promise. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And the rest of the promise is great, but let's just look at that. No weapon formed. Uh, the weapons that the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy uses, they're, they're, can, they're, they're made up of different things, but a common denominator in the different weapons that are formed, there's a common denominator in its fear. The thief that wants to steal, kill, and destroy from you needs you to do something to be able to pull off his plot. He needs you to fear. He needs you to fear. In this way, fear, this is a really plain example for me. Fear is like one half of the Velcro. If he can get you to have one half of the Velcro, he can stick the other part to it. But we want to get rid of the Velcro. Get rid of it. But we don't want anything sticking to it from him. If you won't fear, he doesn't have anything to stick to. So fear is an enemy. And we're going to see how Jesus dealt with it. You don't want to be friends with fear. Jesus dealt with the fear at the core. He said this in Hebrews, the second chapter, God's little children, God, God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Death, death is a core, is the core of all fear. He went to the core. He went to the awfulest thing you could ever fear. He went to the most horrible thing. Even in taking, a person taking their own life, 
It's not. It's n it is because they have determined that actual physical death is better than the experience of death in their life. Death has come into their life. Yeah. And they're afraid of it. That nothing will change. All right? So, let's look at this. We got to know what to do with it. What do we do with it? Well, if you try to outthink fear, try to be smart and outthink it, you're going to fail. You have to realize <laughs> the one who crafts fear is, is what Jesus called, or who Jesus called, the father of lies. He's been here. He's been here since the beginning. He is brilliant in his sculpting lies. He knows how to make, like what uh, um, Joyce Meyer says, fear, um, false evidence. Thank you, Annie. Say it louder. False evidence appearing true. False evidence. He knows how to do that. So you get your head right up to him and try to outthink him. <laughs> You're going to fail. In fact, that's why fear is still there. Listen, worry is the activity of you trying to outsmart the devil. How you going with that? How you doing with that? You can't outsmart him. All right? So what can you do? Well, you can't ignore him. Just put your head in the sand, maybe it'll go away. No, it won't go away. It'll bite your backside while your head's in the sand. <laughs> Neither can you run away. You can't run away. If you try to run from fear, you'll find that it's waiting for you where you're running, and not only waiting for you, it snuck up behind you and chased you, and it will put you into a vice grip. You cannot run from fear. And what can you do? Well, there are tools in the Bible. Aren't you glad? So, we're going to look at, at six of them today, seven if we can get to them, and if I can talk really fast. So, be bored listeners so that I go quicker. Just kidding, don't. Look at Isaiah. It says, the Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. He said, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do, and don't live in dread of what frightens them. You can get carried away with conversation, what everybody's afraid of, and, every, and this is a conspiracy, and this, and this, and this, and this. A dear friend of ours was just telling, telling Tony and I a couple weeks ago that her brother lives in a cellar now. He's got a wife and three kids, and he's afraid to come out and even be a dad because of the conspiracies that are going on. I tell you, if you feed that monster, it'll just grow and be weird. Um, so what do we do? Starve the fears. Starve. If you, decide, if you determine where that fear is and what that fear uh, was, was connected to, don't feed it. If, if you're af afraid of violence, if you're afraid of being attacked, Watch attack movies. <laughs> Don't feed the fear. If you're afraid of infidelity in your marriage, don't entertain yourself with movies with it in it. All right? Starve your fears. Let's look at another tool. The... the um, the children of Israel were surrounded with three enemy armies, and um, or they, they were to go into the promised land, and they, the, the, 
the nations there were bigger and stronger and walled cities and, and better weapons and more experience. In Deuteronomy 7 and verse 17, this was the direction from the Lord. Perhaps you will think to yourself, how can I ever conquer? And I put dot, dot, dot. I took out the words so you could put in whatever you need to conquer, okay? How can I ever conquer? The Bible said those nations. But you can put in whatever that are so much more powerful than I am. Well, number one, don't be afraid of them. Number two, of what we even saw in, in communion this morning, remember what the Lord your God did. If not to Pharaoh, remember what God did in the work that Jesus did. Remember what he did in your own life. Remember the great terrors of the Lord sent against them. Next, next frame. You saw it all with your own eyes. Remember what God has done, what you've seen him do in other people's life. And remember the miraculous signs and wonders and the strong hand, the powerful arm in which he brought you out of Egypt. The Lord your God will use this same power against all the people. In other words, remember what God has done, and it will help. Okay, these are tools. Remember what God has done. Let's look at another one. Three enemy armies have surrounded the children of Israel. They'll, they will be annihilated. All right? It's terrible. Look at the king, Jehoshaphat. It says he was terrified. If you've ever been terrified, it's not because something's wrong with you. If you've ever had fear, it doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It just means that you're alive and there's been bad st You may not have done the right thing with the fear. Okay, but Jehoshaphat here, king of Israel, he, he was terrified by the news and he begged God for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin to fast. In other words, he prayed. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid. There it is again, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Then there is a whole uh, interesting thing that, that God kept on saying through this prophetic word that came through uh, somebody that was a part of their congregation, and you will not need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He's with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against him tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Mm. Next tool, the third tool is pray. Pray! Pray! Don't try to just swallow your fears. Or even just, dis, dis, just only discuss them with other people. Talk to God, because you need his truth. Because truth can make you free. Pray. Talk to him about it. Remind him of his word, because that's what Jehoshaphat did in the prayer that he prayed. And finally, at the end of his prayer, he asked him for help. Ask for help. All right, let's go on to another tool. This is in Isaiah 41, verse 10. I love this verse, these two verses. Don't be afraid. Here it is again. I'm with you. Don't be discouraged. I'm your God. I will strengthen you and I'll help you and I'll hold you with my victorious right hand. For I hold you by your right hand. I, the Lord your God, and I say to you, don't be afraid. I am there to help you. Now, we'll comment on these next two verses as soon as I read them, and then we'll talk about it all that. About 3 o'clock in the morning, this is in Matthew, the 14th chapter, Jesus was up in the mountains praying. His disciples were in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and it was all waves, and, and, and they were having a difficult time. 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. 
Do you see something common in some of the verses uh, or the verses so far, even in the other tools that we've looked at? This particular tool that we're looking at is acknowledging the presence of God with and in you. All right? This is something common, God says, when he's telling you not to be afraid. When God tells you not to be afraid, it's not with a, a pat on the cheek and say, oh, honey, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. That doesn't help. I'm trying not to. Have you ever had somebody tell you not to be afraid and it didn't help you not be afraid? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'm trying. So when Jesus is saying here, it, don't be afraid, it's not a pat on the cheek of just comforting. It's a directive. Don't be afraid. In other words, he's saying, drop the Velcro. Don't, don't go there. But he doesn't leave you with that directive. So you're going, I don't want to be afraid. I'm trying not to be afraid. No, he tells you why you don't have to be afraid. He said, don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm here. And the reason he has to say that is because in the middle of fear, you're not aware of him. You're aware of what you're afraid of. Isn't that the truth? I mean, painfully aware. You're drowning in something. I mean, it's everywhere. It's behind you. It's in front of you. It's on top of you. It's underneath you. Fear tries to just swallow you up. So that's why when he says, don't be afraid, the next thing he says, I'm with you. Because it was something that you weren't aware of when you were afraid. Say this, God is with me. For time's sake, we're going to go on. I wanted to let you know in the podcast, we always give notes. We're going to give you a lot of, of, of notes, this, uh, of promises, more than what we could cover today. Promises that will help feed your heart of confidence in, the, in, in God and in his ability to help you and also his, he will never leave you. Let's look at another one. So acknowledge God's presence with you and acknowledge his presence in you. Let's look at the fifth tool. We see this in 1 John, the fourth chapter. We've already made mention of it. It says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. You could say it this way. I have known and I believe the love that God has for me. Say this, I believe God loves me. Say it again. One more time. I believe he loves me. I mean, he does love you. But when you believe his love, it enables you to receive of it. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Where you're conscious of him. There may be things around you, but it's outside. You're in him. He's the house. It's amazing how storms don't bother you as long as you're in the house. You're in God. Let the storms blow. Let the wind blow. You're in him. All right? He says this, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. That's just the deal. And so if there is, if there is an area of fear in your life, rather than trying to outrun the fear and be tough, tougher than the fear, buck up and get over it. God, just get over it. No, you, if you've ever had anyone tell you they don't, then they don't know that kind of fear. There's another thing that they deal with. You don't just tell somebody, get over it. No, what they need to do is come and believe some love. Receive some love. God loves you. And perfect love casts out fear. Psalms 56 and verse 3 says, When I am afraid, and this is big tough David. He killed a bear with his, with his bare hands. He killed a lion with his bare hands. He killed, you know, and this is all when he was a teenager. He killed a, a giant, you know. He's an amazing man. And, uh, but he also ran for his life. He knew what it was to be victorious in some things and then just be absolutely crippled with fear. 
He said this, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Listen to this one. Paul said this when he was on a ship and had been in a cyclone for days. And they'd, poured it, they'd put everything overboard just trying to survive. And now they're all, they've all given up hope that they were going to make it. He says this, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul. For you will surely stand trial before Caesar. And what's more, in other words, you have, you have a future. There's stuff still ahead of you. You're not going down. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage. For I believe God. It will be just as he said. Having the promises of God, the word of God to you, gives you an option, gives you something else to see, gives you, gives you something to put your trust in. The word, you say, I trust that. He said he won't leave me. He will never forsake me. I trust that. You put your trust there and it unplugs from trusting that the will of the enemy, the thief, is going to come to pass. Both can't. I trust God. I trust his word. Let's say this. I trust God. I trust him. You put your trust in the Lord uh, by saying it. By saying it. Every night, some of you, before you go to bed, rather than sleeping with your fears like another human in your bed, you need to declare, I trust God. I have no fear of the future. I don't have, some of you would declare what you, you have no fear of this, no fear of that. Declare what you have no fear of and then say why. I have no fear because God is with me. He will never leave me. I'll not fear. If you won't fear, there's nothing to stick the stealing, the killing, and the destroying to. We just won't fear. Amen? All right. Now, the last thing that we want to talk about today, I want to do it in prayer if the worship team can come. I want us to, we're going to pray. I'm going to have you just join me in prayer because when uh, James said this, he says, when you resist the devil, or I mean, when you submit to God, first of all, James the fourth chapter, if you submit to God, and all those, these tools that we've talked about first are ways that we can submit to God. We submit to his presence. We, in other words, we respond to him rather than those things that are poking us through our eyes and our ears and our senses and our memories or whatever. We're submitting and responding to him and his word. If you'll submit to him, the second thing says, and resist the devil, he will flee. He will flee. There were, where uh, I remember in the last place that we lived, my daughters were sleeping in a room. Uh, of course, it was their bedroom, but anyway, in that, in that room, frequently they would both wake up at night in terrors, in like in night terrors. I asked the Lord about it. I said, what is that? Fear is not just thoughts in the head, just. Paul told Timothy that God had not given him a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Fear can also be enforced and aggravated and stimulated by a spirit. 
that we have authority over in the name of Jesus. When we submit to the word, we can take authority over a spirit of fear and command it to go. Submit to the fact that God is with us. Submit to the fact that he'll never leave us or forsake us. Submit to the truth that we don't feed fear. Submit to those things. Submit of magnifying the Lord. Submit to those things. But then you can turn around to that spirit and say, you cannot be here. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.